Screen Beats. Welcome back to Read It and Weep. We are back. This is our first episode of 2020, and it is the kickoff episode of season three. We made it all the way to the third season, you guys. This is our... What's the third season? Twelfth year? But it's the third season. Uh, did you say what is yeah, the third like season? What's the what's the what's the gimmick? great question, Hunter? We're going to talk a lot about that uh, in Wait, a second. So, think of all the shows that we've lasted longer than. So many shows, you know, didn't get past the first Firefly. season. Firefly, yeah. Huh? We are yeah, Firefly. Exactly. Firefly. We are like we have like twelve Fireflies. Yeah. Is how long yeah, we've been it's around. It's pretty awesome. And your your goal is to catch up with General Hospital, right, Alex? <laughs> That's kind of the dream. He has a, I want. He has a jealousy of General Hospital. Yes, yeah. insatiable. General Hospital jealousy. And we're, I've always thought of our show as a very specific hospital. Yeah. yeah. So I can't so we've wait to got destroy those there. people. We're not, we're specific. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's not on the air anymore, right? So we could catch up in terms oh, of interesting. Yeah. seasons. But I we'll think. never, we'll never catch The Simpsons. No. No, because that's, that's going to be going forever. That's, that's like a Moby uh, White Whale situation. Don't chase that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he does get the whale, though. Yeah, but he does he really get what he wanted? I don't know. Yeah, he wanted I, I, to die on a whale, <laughs> I think. Um, according to this, General Hospital seems to has been running since 1963, 57 seasons, and is still airing episode it's Okay. Season 57 episode 191 aired yesterday. Jesus. Well, they <laughs> I is it on TV still? Or I mean, uh, I know a- one of the Okay, on so ABC is, so. at 2 p.m. weekdays. Because it's one of the the weird things about like uh, I don't know if either of you. My mom watched a lot of soaps, and yeah. there used to be so many, uh, especially soaps that I thought would run forever. And so this, I thought all of them were gone now, or just on streaming. Now I didn't know they were still being aired. So that's can't fascinating. Imagine what the like story in. 50, almost 50 years of this show continuously running five days a week. Like, what story have they not touched yet? Why do they need to do what is in their stories? Like, why would they need to do that? Why can't they just take some scripts oh, from season that's actually 13, change, yeah, scratch that's out all the names? Point. Yeah, they they just, they pull up, I, like, Hunter's right, they just pull up old episodes and insert Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Je- Jeffrey picks up a payphone. Scratch, scratch, scratch. His iPhone <laughs> six, and no one's the wiser. That's how they do it. <laughs> it's kind of profound if you think about it. It's like we're stuck in a general hospital, like Mobius Strip. Like, oh, a- so we, are there people on the show? Like, there were there could be a baby born in season four that is like an old actor on the show currently. Oh right, yeah. I mean, they're, I'm almost positive they are that not literally played by the same actor. No, but I mean, there are, could be the same actors. Yeah. It could be like there are there could be people whose literally their entire lives yeah, they die on life. the show they were born yeah, on. You could ho- live your whole life. They're yeah, never sure. not on General Hospital. That's beautiful. There could have been a yeah yes, Alex. There could have been a Truman Show as situation. There with, could be. Uh, this is yes. okay. All right. So this is what season three is about. Is it's a gen- we're a General Hospital fan show now. Um, we just do recaps of the general hospital. Um, no, so, okay, so here's what's... Well, first, let me introduce you to our panel. Uh, both of them joining me... I, so my name is Alex Falcone. I'm in Los Angeles, California now. Um, and I am... Uh, this is our only second episode since I got here, I think. Maybe third. Um, uh, but we're joined by, in Southeast Portland, Mr. Anthony Lopez. Alex, can I ask you a question real fast? <laughs> yeah. 
A man's attitude goes some way. The way his life will be. Is this something you agree with? That, this, this feels like one of a hundred questions on like uh, one of those personality quiz. Where you're like, I, I agree slightly. And then in the end now, of this, you're going to okay, tell me I'm a sociopath. But, but. Alex, now, do you agree because you think that's what you want? I wanted you to hear. I wanted you to say because you actually believe it. Man, what, wouldn't this have been a great piece of dialogue if any of the characters mattered later? Hey, anyway, Alex, let's. But let, they do matter. sometimes a buggy. They do matter. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have fun. Uh, I can't wait to get into this with also you. Also joining us today, uh, he's at Hungry Hunty on Instagram. Oh, you. If you want to see pictures of food he's already finished, uh, please welcome back from also from Southeast Portland, Mr. Hunter hey, Donaldson. what's up? It's me. Dirty plates. Um, <laughs> glad we could meet you mm-hmm. also in a field in the My middle of the My character, though, is also named Alex Falcone. But, like, you're a diner waitress now? Right. And I have a picture of myself <laughs> that I'm handing you. If there was a character that you associated the most with, would it be... Uh, the cowboy. Uh, the cowboy's my... It would be the cowboy? The, cow- the cowboy's the best character. It's not Alley Demon? No. Nope. No. Definitely. Al- I mean, everyone knows that if you do good, you'll see Hunter yep. once. <laughs> if you do bad, you'll see him twice. <laughs> I well, mean, that's I, what people I, have been saying about you forever. Saw, I only saw him once, right? So that means I did good if I only saw the cowboy well, one more time. but you well, can he, always see me again and then a third time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so, okay. So here's what season three is. Um, so this is season three uh, after, it's episode 490 something, um, I think. Um, but it's season three. And so here, here's the arc of our show. is When we started, we were talking mostly about bad popular books. And the reason was because I wanted to know what was going on. Why was everybody talking about all these things? Uh, and uh, as we moved through other bad movies and and then good movies, and then last year, season two was about whether or not stuff holds up. It was about finding things that um, we people had experienced as youths and, and seeing how they affected us as adults. And I all along, the theme was things that I had somehow missed in my life. It was just it was blind spots for me. That's been a large theme of the show is my personal blind spots. And uh, so season three is going to be focusing on specific blind spots. Specifically, uh, uh, we talked about movies for almost a decade uh, on this show. I was a movie critic for over a year, and no one who's ever met me would accuse me of being a guy who likes movies. <laughs> like, no one would be like, what, that Alex, he's a film buff. No one would say that. Um, I like movies. No one would say that I'm a film hater, but it's just like, I'm a dude who goes to movies. I just happen to also have found a lot of excuses to talk about them, but um, that's been my relationship with it. And I think the a big blind spot is that I don't know anything about film. And one of the additions since Anthony joined the show uh, a couple years ago now, uh, big additions is that there's a person on the show talking about film who knows a little bit about film. That was the thing we didn't have at all before. Um, and it, But it's gotten to a point where I feel like it's kind of embarrassing that I don't know anything. And so season three is all about uh, things that we, sh- that we feel embarrassed to not have known more about. And the first portion of that, the first sub-theme of season three, is what I am calling slightly condescending film school with professor professor anthony lopez so for the first run on the show anthony is going to teach me some stuff about film and um uh so hunter is here today as our associate professor because he also knows way more about movies than i do 
And so you gentlemen are going to talk to me and teach me some about movies today and in an ongoing basis. And then as season three develops, we'll have some other blind spots we're going to talk about. Um, We're going to have people uh, watch things that they always like everyone is mad at them for not having seen. Going to go pick up some of those. Anthony, what's we talked about this before. What's a movie that you're like embarrassed to say that you haven't seen before? Uh, Off the top of my head, I'd have to think. Let me think about that. I can't. Okay. There's definitely, I'm not saying that as like, I have seen everything. There's just like a no, lot of No, because we did talk about this. Yet. I can't remember what your example yeah. was. Did you say uh, Schindler's List? That wasn't No, I, I have seen Schindler's List. I okay. Watching this movie, um, which we're talking about Mulholland Drive today. Uh, yes, yeah. Um, but watching this movie made me really regret never have seen uh, Sunset Boulevard, right. the oh, Billy yeah. Wilder film. Because yeah. there's a lot of uh, references and imagery in this movie. That right, I, I know right. is from that, but I just have never actually seen it. And people, I was thinking about that actually. I have seen Sunset Boulevard. Well, actually, okay, I was thinking about that because my wife pointed out there's a lot of similarities, and then I said I haven't seen Salt Sunset Boulevard, and she said yes, we watched it together. <laughs> so that's the true. That's the story. <laughs> and forgot. Um, which is great. I had seen it and completely wiped it out, but I agree with you. There's a lot of things in common. Both of these are named after streets in yeah, Los Angeles. That's a big one right yeah. there. Yeah, that's the yeah. theme. So I would think the trilogy, if you're going to watch them, the third one would be Magnolia, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I get it. Uh, Is there another L.A. street movie that I can't think mm, of off the top of my head? You could, I mean, it's not in L.A., but I think it'd be funny if you also watched um, what's the miracle on Fort or on 42nd Street, this Santa but, Claus movie? <laughs> miracle <laughs> miracle on 34th, 34th Street. Yeah. I think it's 34th. Throw, throw that no in. one wants to go up to 42nd throw, Street. Throw that no. in, though. Just throw that in. Watch those back to back. What a great little film playlist that would be. I like movies named after um, streets. I could go to. Hunter, do you have a film that's like everyone's seen this but me, but it's too weird to go back and watch it? Uh, now? You know, oddly enough, The Exorcist is the first thing that pops up oh, in my head because yeah. there's so many references to it constantly. But also mm, because yeah. there's so many references to it, it's like a whole I don't really feel like filling. You know, it's like I think I get it. I've seen all the scenes. Well, I could say because having seen it, I think Exorcist is one of those movies that falls in the category um, where if you've seen the references, you get yeah. it. That's what. That's where what I, there are other movies like I watched uh, Casablanca, and I was like, oh, people say all these words, but I had no idea what this mm-hmm. was about. Well, and The Exorcist is a great example, um, just for like concept i talk a lot about on the show is like creative inflation where so many things rip it off and take stuff from yeah. it that when you see the original it's not as an empowering right. but the Easy, exorcist except- is also i was gonna say with us it's yeah. a great movie it's a very good movie great score great performances but it's very fun to watch and then think like back to the news reporting of like you know the exorcist was the movie that every showing 10 people fainted 16 people would run out screaming, <laughs> praying to God. Like, yeah. the idea that a movie that's fairly tame by modern standards just had that. I mean, it's dirty. Kind of it made me blush a lot how, what the yeah. child oh, was no. saying, but that was pretty yeah. much it. But yeah, it's not the idea that that would make anybody faint. And if you do faint from The Exorcist, I'm not trying to make fun of you. I mean, maybe watch more, mo- don't watch more modern horror right. movies. Uh, but <laughs> I love watching, the, watching it and thinking like, people fainted. Like, hot <laughs> ambulances were called to dozens yeah. of screenings right. of The Exorcist. Is that, across is that the actually country. real or no, is that one of those, real. like, that's, that's a real. 
promo thing that the makers of The Exorcist put out um, to try to get more uh, people excited. That, no, I mean, they, that movie did they it. capitalized on There's it. Also, for sure. We've all heard about Scary Train movie that scared everybody, right? That train movie? Yeah. Scary train you know movie? About scary no. Scary train movie? It was this early, early movie about a scary train. Or actually, I think it's a regular train, but it's heading toward. Wait, no, it's just a <laughs> shot. It's just a shot of a train coming towards the camera. Oh. And the first time, it was like an early Edison test yeah, film. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Pre Thomas and the Tank the first... Engine. That's important to note. Yeah. Like, we didn't know trains were yeah. friendly yet. But yeah, so at at all the original screenings of that movie, people would jump out of the way of the moving train. I can um, see that because if you didn't know that much about, if you'd never seen moving pictures before, because I still like in a movie where somebody gets like tossed overboard in a boat, I still hold my breath. <laughs> I could, and I don't want to, and I get I get embarrassed, and I know when I notice other people are, you know, like we're, we're watching Titanic or something, I was like, <gasps> like involuntarily. <laughs> I could imagine if you'd never seen a moving picture and the train's coming at you, you lose your shit. Right. When I was a kid, I used to do that, but solely to like, could I survive the situation if I was in it? So <laughs> I would hold it, my breath. You did it to dunk on those dumb idiots <laughs> who drowned? <laughs> Just be like, okay, I'm going to hold my breath. So in this case, if I ever find myself in this situation, I will know I can hold my breath till I got out. Okay, fair enough. Well... So, he, okay, so those are great examples of some things that we've been missing out, some blind spots. We're going to cover those kind of blind spots later, but for now, we're going to go back and learn about film. Oh, one thing I want to do on this, uh, we've already had a long introduction, but one thing I want to do um, in season three a little bit more is something that we did uh, on accident last episode uh, where we included a little bonus episode at the beginning, basically, where we just, before we started recording the main show, we talked a little bit about Anthony's the- uh, theme, uh, not theories, um, but his opinions on the new Star Wars oh. film. Um, and, uh, so I just want to have a, just do a quick check in with everybody of like, what else have you watched in the last week or two? Anthony, what, what have you watched r- very recently? What's, um, what's on your playlist? Well, I, this week I finally got around to seeing the farewell. Oh my God. Um, I just saw that also two which, days ago. That's really yeah, crazy. Very really? good. Yeah. I liked it quite Super a bit. I would definitely, um, if you're looking for like a good sit, uh, and, you know I love my connected universes, so you know this uh-huh. is in the uh, America, this American Life cinematic universe <laughs> in terms of movies that started <laughs> on that. Sh- oh, it's okay. movies that started as stories on right. that show and became movies, uh, and they all do take wow. place, in fact, in the same universe. Wow, uh, right. this one. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, I all I, these I, movies. <laughs> I do call it the the true cinematic universe. Yeah, yeah, the uh, the universe cinematic universe. Right. Yeah, the farewell. I, I, um, I, we've discussed this on the show me. before, but that's sorry. Say it again, Hunter. Sleepwalk with me is also in the yeah yeah sleepwalk that was, with me. Is that was yeah. the other one. So we need more yeah. of them, you know. But also, all documentaries are in the same cinematic universe. That's interesting. That's but that's just kind of the real world, Alex. This we're talking. Yeah, about that's cinema- what I'm saying. That's the universe cinematic universe. The real universe cinematic universe. Yes. Okay. The exist uh, yeah, our universe's cinematic universe. Anyway, so you, okay, so you watched the farewell, and it was a good. You said a good sit. It looks like it's got it's, some old people in it. I've never heard of. Well, this it's it's uh, it's um, Aquafina stows in it. She just won a Golden Globe. It's a fascinating true story of uh, this Chinese American family, who's uh, they find out their grandma, who uh, is still living in China, is dying of cancer, and rather than telling her that. They end up uh, faking a wedding so they can all go back and spend Aww. some time with her. Um, 
because I guess in China this is a common thing of well, you not don't telling tell someone the diagnosis. Well, you, you don't tell your grandparents so they don't have to worry right. and die. It's something like a burden the family takes on, so the old person doesn't have to spend the hmm. last, however, you know, in fear and suffering. Um, and instead, a, they get to spend it uh, fighting over dumb wedding right. shit. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's I mean, again, I think it's a very different type of culture over there, and they. <laughs> They, the grandma definitely enjoys fitting on the wedding thing. So wait, if you do a, a fake together. wedding, do you still have to fight over the guest list? Uh, no, because it's just everyone who wants to see Grammy. It's a pretty easy uh, guest list. Uh, well, but, but you're still feeding everybody. So at some point, you're gonna be like, "Look, uh, cousin Tim never invited me to any of his kids' weddings, so I don't think we have to invite them to fake wedding well, for Grammy." How about this? I will forward these questions to Lulu Wong next yeah. time I get a chance. <laughs> The writer and director. Uh, yeah, but it's. Uh, I I thought it was very very moving, incredibly well shot, uh, very well acted. Um, yeah, I loved it quite a bit. Very good movie. So that was uh, what I saw this week. I can't. I definitely watched some other stuff this week, but nothing of note. Oh, I did. Uh, I watched uh, Heather and I did a double feature of The Rocketeer and Bumblebee. Uh, <laughs> um, both. Good movies, but fun adventure I mean, films. You don't, um, when you do your double feature, you don't theme them. It's just you pick one, I pick one. No, these were kind of just like, we were both not feeling very good and at home. So we were just trying to watch like stuff that didn't take too much concentration. So, so you picked a World War II robot movie? Yeah. Well, the Rocketeer we both hadn't seen since we were kids and we were wondering if it held up. So I like that quite a bit. Uh, and then Bumblebee, I'd wanted to see, and it is so good. It's such yeah. a bummer that they took so long to make a good, fun Transformers movie. Uh, but I, I, if you, oh. if you were fearful, if you hated the Michael Bay movies and thought I would never give this franchise a shot again, completely fair because fool me five times. <laughs> well, I guess I'm the asshole here. Um, we have but, watched two Transformers, I believe, on this podcast yeah. already. No, so, it is yeah, uh, the complete opposite of the Michael Bay take on it. It's an endearing, fun adventure film. So I would I would suggest watching both of those if you get the chance. Well, speaking of completely different takes, I did get around to watching the Star, the last Star Wars Ooh, yeah, movie ever. I want to hear your Star um, Wars take. I mean, I, I I feel like I had so much Anthony influence going into it, but uh, that I feel like I agree with everything that I was told to feel. Um, what that I, you were being? I like, think I might have liked it a... over and over by a movie, basically. Like the the movie was. <laughs> yeah, like... I mean, I, th- there were I, there were things that I parts that I enjoyed a little more than I expected, mm-hmm. but I was so mad about the um, uh, revisionist history about her parents. Mm-hmm. Like, I really felt moved by the ryan johnson take on how the force gets Mm -hmm. passed down and the idea that this movie was like look i know we democratized the force last movie but what if we went back to it's only one royal bloodline ever Yeah, that's pretty boring yeah and i sort of hate that there's nine movies in this universe and every movie is like look there's this one family and two robots and no matter where you go in an unending universe one of those family members or robots is there. That's it. Yeah. I like- think no matter how you feel about Rise of the Skywalker, I think we can all agree that the dead speak. <laughs> Fortnite, baby. Um, yeah. um, I, I, can I throw out one uh, Rise of Skywalker take that I haven't seen yet? Uh, yes. The original trilogy, um, 
and to a much lesser extent, the prequel trilogy has this rich tradition, I feel, of having bizarre and good minor characters that get tiny little itty bitty moments. And I'm not talking about, Mm -hmm. uh, what's the name of the little mechanic dude they meet? Babu Babu Frick. Frick. I'm not even talking about Babu Frick. I'm talking about the even smaller minor minor characters, like the one that always, uh, there's the oddly racist bartender in a new hope that's like no droids in here get your droids out of here <laughs> and then there's then there's the guy that trains the rancor I had thought, okay so sorry I, we have to stop for a second that's too good of a side oh, okay, take sorry. to not include here okay i so first of all it's weird to call him racist that he hates droids but also um it is weird that he hates droids like of all the things you could have in your bar that seems like the least messy one yeah Hey, they hang out for hours and they don't ever buy anything. Fuck oh, them, that's right? what it is. They just want the Wi-Fi and they don't exactly. drink. Okay. Yeah. You're right. Exactly. You're right. Um, my favorite Star Wars minor character is the guy that trains the Rancor. Uh, that di- the Rancor dies and then he's like wearing this like weird thing on a set. Oh he yeah, he's great. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my friend. He killed my friend. Uh, my it's Rancor so is dead. It's so good. I don't know why you're giving. I don't him know why I assume he's why Italian. Do that. He definitely is Italian. Um, there's a new character I really, really like in Rise of Skywalker. It's the best moment of the whole movie. Uh, when they first meet Lando and he's wearing his his weir- his uh, his mask or whatever, uh, and then they go inside of their this little like weird like skiff type thing. There's a part where he bangs on the wall and there's like a driver with like a little taxi cab like um, thing that he like slides open for a second and he just looks back at <laughs> at everybody and goes Rah! like that. And that's all that happens. And that was good. That was very good. Yeah. That was very Star Wars. My favorite. I have. Um, if I want to, if I can give a shot shout out before uh, we get yeah. to the this, my yeah. favorite side character in Rise of the Skywalker. I really like when they're at the um, the Muppet Coachella yeah. thing. Yes. When they <laughs> should have been more they Muppet meet, Coachella. Why? Yeah, but they meet the uh, they meet Muppet this Coachella. like this one woman, and she goes up to Ray and goes uh. What's your name? And Ray goes, Ray. And the lady's like, I asked you a fucking question. What's your name? <laughs> like, who who goes up to someone and it's just like, what's your name? No, give me your full name. Damn it. Yeah. Uh, I, I want love... your birth certificate name, asshole. Yeah, I, I like that. Just the moxie of that mm-hmm. character. Quite a bit. I got to say, actually, probably my favorite part of it. Um, so I, I think I generally enjoyed it more than I expected because you had set my expectations right. so low, which is a great favor you can offer to people. Yeah. Um, but my I really enjoyed um, the, the, di- the the improv game of having to work Princess Leia's extra dialogue from the last movie into this movie. There, yeah. There's an improv game we used to do, a short form game where you get like a, a script or a book or something and like two characters only read from the book and then the other improviser has to like justify everything in the context of right. the scene. And that's what felt like happened. It was like, she's going to say some wild shit and then we have to like write a movie around... Like never distrust a droid. Like what a great line that we definitely needed we to get in there. All, we don't have many options, so that's that's it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so now we have to add a scene where the droid says something very boring, and then she's like, "Don't distrust the droid." Uh, that cracked me up. Um, also, the there were two uh, people next to me who did not do not read as much Twitter as I do, I guess, or as all of us do uh, on the show because uh, they were so confused about Princess Leia. Like every time she talked, they were like, "How are they doing that?" <laughs> they were like whispering loudly, like mystified. Like I don't understand how she's still here. 
I thought she died. Like, yeah, I thought so too. Anyway, that was really fun. So that fun side drama. I also watched uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor and Jojo Rabbit. Oh, um, so I, I'm tr- I'm getting caught up on some of my SAG award screeners. Um, I thought Won't You Be My Neighbor was just cute and fine, and you took the two men in the universe uh, that we are least worried about me too stories about mr rogers and thomas the hank engine and just had a nice time with both of them it was great um i mean he's it's really not a movie about mr rogers it's about just some reporter i've never heard of but it's fine um and jojo rabbit i really enjoyed i thought i thought that wacky hitler is probably like one of my favorite comedic performances i've watched in a while he was so funny as wacky hitler yeah taika watati is a genius uh, yeah, I like his movies quite a bit. I was a little bummed in like the second hour when it got all sad. Um, and then I was like, I felt stupid for feeling sad about this. The, the, or feeling that something sad was going to happen in this movie about World War II. Like, I, there's there's, there's going to be some sadness. I should have seen that coming. But I was just so delighted by the comedy of the first half that when it got sad, I was like really upset. Um, but yeah, it was really, really good. Hunter, what have you seen cinema. recently? Oh, so yeah, I saw the farewell. Um, what did I? See? Well, it sucks because we kind of already talked. We've already talked about all the movies that I've seen because I saw Star Wars. Oh, did we boggle that. your your? And then I we saw, made you cross out your things because we picked yeah. them. And then the farewell. What did I see before that though? Um, hmm. Oh, Uncut Gems. I saw that movie. That movie. That's a fun sports movie. That's kind of all I want to say about it too. <laughs> Great sports film. If you love a good sports film, this is the sports film for you. This is the one, that's the one where, like, is Adam Sandler is serious again? Adam Sandler is, oh, well, yeah, he's doing some real, some real acting stuff. He's putting some real big acting stuff up on the screen, uh, which is fun. Yeah. Uh, and he's, you know, he's, I don't need to tell you that he's good, because that's, that's all, that's, they're just marketing the whole movie, just being like, Adam Sandler's good in it, so come see it. He did a good I job, mean, you better what go a see year, it. What, what a year he had where he had just like, he's like, look, I know I've done nothing but unabashed garbage for 10 years, mm-hmm. but I'm going to put out a really good stand-up hour and then a movie where I act. Yeah. Yep. No, I mean, it's like clockwork. Every six years we get one <laughs> good Adam Sandler performance and then he uh, just bizarre. then he just takes his friends on tropical vacations the rest of right. the you know, half decade. It's a just waste wastes Netflix's money yeah. doing racist shit. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's get into our uh, topic now for the day. That was probably uh, that was that was a delight for me. Maybe a little long for a pre-episode banter, but we have. So today we're talking about. Uh, well, so there's not a lot to talk about with Mahal no, and Dragon. Really. It's a very thin, <laughs> easy breezy movie. You know, yeah. I just have so much that I want to do. Okay, so it's, so like I said, it's slightly condescending film school mm-hmm. with Professor Anthony Lopez. Our first topic is the 2001 David Lynch film Mulholland Drive. Uh, David Lynch masterpiece. Yeah. Great, Mulholland Anthony. Drive. Anthony, Ultimate why Lynch did you? Film. So, yeah. so you had picked. There's, there's, there were. We'd actually had this picked. You'd, you'd helped pick this for two different previous themes, and then it just kind of slid naturally into this one. But the first one was I was asking you what movies you'd be embarrassed if I hadn't seen that were like your favorite. Or no, wait, sorry, no, that's new. I was at yeah. no. First, I asked you what, what like, what of your favorite movies. Um, and this is like one of your top favorite movies. Yes. And, and I also was talking about LA movies that yes. have LA in the name, and this has that. And this Mul- is also a, a incredible um like take on the move to LA stodom right. 
uh, tropes and story. I think this is one of like the best films to kind of tackle those those tropes you see in a lot of movies, and it like dissects them and has fun with them. And uh, just like movies in general, this is a great movie to like watch to kind it's, of like see something. It was really study informative for me as someone who moved to Los Angeles to become famous that I learned I might end up Crazy. in a blue <laughs> <Yeah>. box. <laughs> yeah. So. It might not be what I had hoped. Yeah. Follow your dreams, but I might then your get... dream becomes a nightmare. And also, yeah. maybe you're all the characters, and maybe you aren't. <laughs> and also, literally a dream. And also, a bl- I'm in a blue box. So, um, Anthony, why 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 is this movie come up for you on so many different themes? Why is this movie so such a, an important one for you to pick to start out film school? Um, well, I, I I've kind of tipped my hat. I genuinely adore this movie. Mm-hmm. I've watched it twice this week. Uh, I'm a big david lynch fan just in general i love even his sort of like not movies that i can totally understand why people don't like like wild at heart or lost highway or inland empire i just i think he's a brilliant artist and he um he's like when a lot of people talk about like pretentious sort of artsy directors and like a bad way david lynch to me is the one that you can like judge them against and see if they're like real artist or if they're just throwing weird shit up on the Mm -hmm. screen uh which i think a lot of people mistake david lynch for doing uh but mostly the reason why i suggested this is because i cannot imagine any movie that is less likely for alex to enjoy it uh (laughs) than maholland drive a big motive of this was just i is kind of i think especially for like you know the moving to la or the uh, film school thing this is like immersion therapy in like house (laughs) cinema so this is like uh i just went to a school and they're like we only speak korean here from now on go No, this is the equivalent of a dad throwing their kid into the lake and saying, figure out how to swim. Uh, that's – and mean, this is this is honestly probably – okay, so Blue Velvet is easily his most accessible right. of his kind of artsy movies. Like, yeah, straight – like the straight story or like um, – uh, the Elephant Man, kind of sure. very straightforward movies. But in terms of, like, weird Lynch, uh, Blue Velvet and the Mulholland Drive was two most accessible movies. So I, I do th- have never seen... I, or I told you last time that I've never seen any David Lynch films, but I realized just now that I lied to you. I did see Dune. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, so that's technically I have a lot- an Alan Smithy film, if you see the <laughs> credits of it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he he was not into so this. I've only seen the one movie he's the least proud right. of, um, yeah. which I did watch for the podcast a long time ago for a wet month. But um, so okay, so I'm I've been thrown into the pool of uh, mm-hmm. uh, Mahal Drive. Uh, I watched it last night. Um, I so here's here's what I want to do. Um, the 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 big segment that I want to do for this. Um, for a slightly condescending film school is uh, a segment called no stupid questions <laughs> where I ask questions that are probably stupid. Um, I guess the title's kind of a yeah, lie. Um, here's my main question. And I, I intentionally didn't look at anything up. My wife did a lot of reading afterwards. I've read mm-hmm. nothing. I knew nothing about this movie going in. I actually, I thought I knew um, some things about this movie. I thought this movie was about a prostitute in uh, France. Totally wrong. Um, <laughs> what? <why would> it? <laughs> it's, 
<laughs> Don't after a street in LA, but it's set in France. <laughs> I, okay, so for what it's worth, did not know it was a street oh in LA until very recently when I drove past it oh. on the way home from Ikea. So, oh, uh, oh my God, I'm going to puke. <laughs> <laughs> you just drive uh, also, by and be like, oh, that's the street from the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know that much about this movie. Uh, and m- so my wife did all this reading and I was like, I'm going to save it. I'm not going to read anything. I'm going to have Anthony and Hunter explain this to me. Mm-hmm. But the, my first question, the main thing that I've been wondering and I want so bad to Google is, does this make sense to other people? Like, should I have gotten it, or or is do none of us get it, and that's no. uh, that's part of the charm, or that's cool? I, uh, I mean, I can't speak for Hunter, um, but where I I would say one of the things I love about David Lynch as like an auteur and the guy who makes these type of movies, nothing drives me more insane than people who make sort of movies that are wildly up to interpretation. Uh, and David Lynch has this great attitude when he does that. When if you ask him what his films are about, he'll <laughs> He purposely gives really weird, silly mm-hmm. answers because he doesn't want to add anything to the conversation. He wants it entirely to be debated and to be analyzed in different ways. Like, there's nothing I hate more than when a director makes, like, a really obtuse film and then in interviews, he's like, no, idiots, let me explain exactly right. what I was doing here. Hmm. Um, you should have done that with the so movie. There, the movie should have done it. The movie should have given yeah, that. And, yeah, and... Um, one of the things I love about this movie is that there are a billion different ways to interpret it. I have a, what I the sort of very common interpretation to it. Uh, I believe the movie, once you have sort of seen it and processed it, it is a very straightforward yeah. movie. Uh, I think it does actually make really complete it almost sense. makes too much yes. sense once, sometimes to where like if I yeah. hear somebody else's interpretation of it, I'll be a little bit put off because I'm like, oh, it doesn't even sound like that exciting of a movie anymore. Yeah. It's uh, it is a incredible. The thing is, it's it's like the like the movie itself, the narrative within the movie. You got to kind of have the the key in the box, yeah. right? Once you kind of have the prism to look through the movie, this is true with a lot of Lynch's work. Especially the more you see of his work, and you see the way he uses repeated imagery and uh, different actors, and kind of like learn that he has a great sense of humor in all of yeah, his oh, work. Yeah. That once you can kind of sit back and say like, okay, certain things are just to be funny and weird, but everything is purposeful. Everything has like a specific use and like he's not, there's nothing in any shot that is not there for a very specific reason. So so for example, color and music, it's just, there is the scene where, um, the, uh, the assassination, the, the, Scene where the guy's killing him, his friend over yeah. over a address book. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, the very Coen probably, Brothers-esque. Yeah, uh, very Coen Brothers. Funny. It was like one of the funniest uh, professional hitman yeah. scenes I've ever seen. When he's talking to the guy, the janitor, yeah. and he's like, yeah, "Hey, yeah. man, I need your help. You got to come in here. Come on, yeah. come on." <laughs> no, seriously, come yeah. help me. <laughs> and then he shoots him, and then he shoots the vacuum at yeah, the that's end. So dumb. Oh, Why does ver- he shoot the vacuum? Why does he shoot the it's, vacuum? I mean, it's very funny. I so I enjoy that very much. Um, I would love then maybe just as a as a small example to give me just just your interpretation of just that why scene. that. Well, exists. Well, it's 
it is like everything in the movie. So the most common interpretation of this movie is that the first two thirds are a dream. The last, uh, the first like two thirds of dream last third is reality, yeah. but it's told from like an emotional reality rather than like how it actually happened. If that makes sense. Mm. Um, so everything in the first half of the movie is the, the whole movie takes place in the dream or most of the movie takes place in a dream of Diane. Diane is a failed actress who moved to Hollywood, uh, met uh, um, a up and coming movie star who got all the roles she wanted, but she gave a bit perks. They had a romantic relationship. It went south. She hired a hitman to kill her, and then was eventually driven to suicide from guilt. So that's like the most basic, great uh, take of Mulholland Drive. So it is like most of the scenes in the movie. It is what Diane, because of the guilt and the um, the sort of like how she feels about what she has done, the idea of the bumbling assassin right. being an mm-hmm. idiot and like not able to do anything right is a part of like everything in the movie wish fulfillment that maybe he won't be successful in killing Camilla, who in the dream is Rita. Totally. Um, so and it's, and we know though that he wasn't successful. Uh, or wait, wait, he wasn't successful in that first part. In, in real life, he does seem like the, there's the scene uh, towards <coughs> the very end where she pays him or whatever, and he does oh, seem right, the like key he is seems there. solid, and, yes. and he does give the key, so he, he kills her. killed her. Yeah. Yes, he did kill Camilla in real life, but in his, in his and, dream, and so, she Okay, so the idea of this being an emotional reality um, does explain why everybody in the film talks like uh, an alien taking over a human body <laughs> and trying to like run the it's still saying the things but like no one sounds like any person I've ever well, it's met. Kinda, it feels yeah, like um, a soap opera influence because you have to remember he had done Twin Peaks and this was supposed to be um, a pilot for another TV show basically for ABC. Oh, interesting. Okay, so the um, so like for example, the scene where um, she goes to a party with her girlfriend. And then her girlfriend makes out with everybody at the party in front of mm-hmm. her and well, doesn't mind. Makes out with the woman that she ends up casting as Camilla right. in her dream, right? Uh, but yeah, the idea, like, was uh. that kiss necessarily that graphic? It's, it's not even that graphic right. of a kiss as a party, but it's like a very intentional fuck you yes. to Diane. Right. Now, yes. like, was it actually like that? Because the whole end of the movie is one of the things I... I really love about watching the movie is that most of the dream like imagery is actually in the last third that is supposed to be reality where a lot of um, like the, the way the camera works, the way like uh, his use of like score and weird stuff happens there. And like, that's a great example of like how she is like emotionally remembering these moments because Mm -hmm. all of, you know, I guess the sort of my interpretation is that everything that uh, is sort of happening in the last third is her sort of like thinking right before she kills herself from guilt from when her parents, her grandparents come out of the weird box and chase her around the house and then she murders. Oh yeah. I have so many questions um, overall and I, this is it. So I wanted to go in more order, but we have to talk about the tiny old people. Yes. Um, What are the tiny old people? And her, her, so I'll, I'll tell you my interpretation first, which yeah. was the scene when in what I thought was real, but is apparently just her dream that is 90 minutes mm-hmm. long. Um, she has flown to L.A. and on the plane to L.A., 
she talk she sits next to these unbelievably talky old people and uh, which is like one of the most egregious sins on right. earth i think yeah. is talking to people on an airplane um and so then later but she's like nice about it because she's still like hopeful and then later in the movie she's like lost some of that innocence and then she's like fucking don't talk to me on planes and then they haunt her and they're like little tiny people in her dreams are like we're gonna keep talking to you even though you don't want it that well, was my interpretation my the way i've always interpreted that so the the opening of the movie the very first thing you see is the june bug dance mm-hmm. that she talks about at the end that she, she won, won and that's oh, what inspired her to be an yeah. actress right so overlaid on the june bug dance is a shot of her with two old people who once you've seen the movie you realize it's the old people from the flight so these are yeah. obviously people she knew from her hometown in uh Canada, whatever, whatever the name of the yeah. funny, on, it's a real place. Something Ontario. Yeah. Um, but my interpretation is that it's like, so there's obviously something really weird with her relationship with older men in particular that manifests a lot in her dream. And there's like this sinister scene. There's one of like, David Lynch is so good at like taking uh, very subtle sort of Rockwellian imagery and making it horrifying so like they she meets them on the plane they are super uh, hopeful and telling her she's going to be great and they really like help her land in la and feel safe and then there's that shot of them in the limo just smiling in the freakiest (laughs) way yeah and it's just like the sinister underbelly to the niceness but what i've always told is like that is her pulling her grandparents into her dream to be these like mm. these people who kind of motivate her and send her off but there's also you know a lot of imagery with her grandparents at the end when they're chasing her onto her bed and just sort of like the way the old men in the um in the uh, audition scene which is i i think one of the greatest scenes in all of movie history um the way that scene plays out, there's like something very sinister about old men and I, her grandfather. And I think that sort of leads to like sexual abuse is kind of what that is hinting at, which is a theme that shows up in a like, you know, Twin Peaks and a lot of other Lynch work. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what the, the grandparents at the end represent. Mm. Right. It's the the guilt coming out of the dream box because, you know, the evil that lives behind the Winkies. Hunter, do you do you have the same? You buy the same interpretation? Um, well, so when it comes to a lot of elements in the movie, it the specifics I think are a little less important than like what what those elements are doing within the narrative. But I think um, whether yeah. they're her grandparents or um, I, I think sometimes people say that those are the judges from the contest. It doesn't really make a difference. Okay, um, yeah, yeah, because. I think I, the way I feel those characters are is like in wh- whatever in real life they are meant to represent, they are like the people that pushed her to move to LA and try and make her dream come true. And that's why ultimately they are the ones that are there at that final moment to, to um, because they're disappointed. You know what I mean? Or she, she has a fear of their disappointment because this whole story started back with the two of them um, and them pushing her to actually move to LA and fulfill your dream. And this is where it's led her is to, uh, to suicide basically and like complete ruin. So of course they, they kind of have to be the last characters that she thinks of because that's kind of where her whole story began. Um, but yeah, I think Interesting. especially all of the dialogue at the beginning, they are like, so and they are, it feels like they are the ones like encouraging her to do this. And because that is a dream, 
And in and another thing, I think important thing to remember in the dream sequence, which I think everyone is kind of in agreement that 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 is all a dream. There's literally a shot at the beginning of her laying her head on a pillow, or like you're in her POV, uh, and she lays herself down. So it must be a dream. But uh, and just the amount of like uh, I was there and now I'm here in this dream right. world. There's just constant like little hints throughout the movie. Well, you mean like the guy who's paying for the waffle? No, the uh, when she like is first talking to Rita in her house and she's kind of explaining her oh, backstory. Yeah. She's like, yeah. I think I was just in Ontario. And now I'm here in this dream world. Um, yeah, I thought that was just about the cute apartment, but that makes sense. But yeah, so um, the thing to remember, though, about dreams and especially I think it's significant to this story is that all of the characters in the dream are kind of just projections of yourself. They're not the, actually those people. Like when you're having a dream, you're not intera- you're interacting with yourself in a weird kind of like Freudian way. And I think that is definitely yeah. important to remember with Mulholland Drive. And not just that they're projections of yourself, but they're also like things you pit on other people so you don't have to deal with right. it. Like a lot of the characters in the movie are like, things she doesn't want to deal with so other characters are dealing with it you know the- okay all right no no stupid yeah, yeah. questions so so i feel like right now i have this very strange full body feeling of like you just like turned the lights on in this haunted house <laughs> where it was like um like like 20 minutes ago and for like the last 12 18 hours or whatever since i watched this movie i've felt deeply confused and uneasy Mm. and now i'm like oh that makes sense um so i I not to cut you off i just want to say that's also like even if you don't have a deeper sort of understanding that's so much of what lynch tries to do i think like hunter was right and like not focusing too much on like the specific details because so much of his work and especially his more dreamlike stuff is just to make you feel something mm-hmm. that most cinema most directors don't even uh, try to do you know the idea of uncomfortable being uncomfortable and feeling weird is like he would consider that a success and be like yeah you got the movie you know what I, does that well, make sense okay but so this other interpretation though like is this a thing that like I should have figured out if I was smarter or do what is this like, is this a puzzle where it's like, Oh, once you just have to either, you know, spend a while or just, it's like, um, like a Rubik's cube. It's like either you could figure this out by brute force by doing it over and over and over again, or you just go to the internet and they tell you the easy way to do it and you just learn it. Like, <laughs> did you guys figure this out the first time you watch it? Or do you just like Google the answer and you're like, Oh, now I know what Mahan drives about. And then you watch it again, you're like, oh, now it's so neat, now that I know what's happening. Well, yeah. it's important to remember that nobody really has, there is no answer. Like, David Lynch yes. never did the thing where he told everybody what the movie was about. So, I mean, I think in going to the internet is more about um, the discussion of the movie. You, you ha- There's a feeling of, like, um, like wanting to solve it. I mean, even the way you're talking about it, it's like, yeah, you, you clearly want to, what is this movie really about? Um and there are a lot of people that have kind of already had that conversation. And that's kind of my one regret of the movie is that the later you're coming to it, the more um, discussion they're kind of they're, the more of the movie uh, has kind of already been agreed upon as far as like what mm-hmm. this is, what this isn't. But you should remember that David Lynch doesn't care about any of that. So like whatever you take from the movie is important and like definitely um, 
it, it's just as uh, just as yeah, admissible and, as ever, anybody else's thing. So yeah, okay. and, I mean, I think you could watch this movie and say that you know there are people who have you know it's a, a story of parallel universes intersecting. It's a Mobius strip. They're, these are just sort of the I think the dream on like um uh like take on it is probably the most common and easiest mm-hmm. to digest and easiest to sort of unlock the movie with. But I mean, in terms of what the movie's actually about, I think it's way more about like uh, what it's like to have a dream and have that you know crushed against you. What a what it's like to work within the Hollywood system if you're a big director. What you know um, Hollywood right. glamour promises you. There are, you cannot ever come to the dream interpretation, but still think like, oh, it's just like a, a scathing take on what Hollywood does to people and a sort of like obsession with having these story arcs and these nice, nice, neat things cleaned up in a bow, you know? But the same question to that that I had before, which is, am I, so this is my like genuine question learning about film is, should I have figured that out? What should I, like, should I have been able to say, if I'm walking away from this, should I have known my first watch if I was a smarter viewer i should have been like oh this feels like um it isn't really about anything but it's about but it's all these different emotions about the things about hollywood like should i have that feeling if there's if it's not a puzzle to be solved should i just be like oh i'm smart enough to get i see some themes going around here and that is what this must be about is just about themes and dreamlike well let me ask you a question how did the movie make you feel So I uh, do you know um, uh, do you know the band at the drive-in? Uh, yes. A little bit. Okay, so this is a punk band from the '90s. I listened to a lot in high school. Uh, they're more and, of a post-hardcore band. Yeah, yeah, sure. But exactly, yeah, post, okay. exactly. A po- yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah. A post-hardcore band. <laughs> anyway, um, and they made some really cool music, and the lyrics are insane and they make yes. they make no and, and not just like not in a way that there is a puzzle in a way like i believe the truth is the singer did a lot of drugs and wrote down just whatever occurred to him on drugs you know they're like they're like intentionally nonsense they're like but they're beautiful mad libs mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. you know end transmission from a one-armed scissor like that's not yeah. a metaphor that's just cool phrasing that he sing, he yells over and over again with this post-hardcore music and i find that very enjoyable I just, at the time, I was like, does this mean something to him? And then my friend who got me into uh, hardcore music said, no. Uh, And then I was like, okay, great. I can just enjoy it. So if if I was watching this, I feel the same way about this movie, is if if you say there's a puzzle, I'm like, oh, that's actually really clever. I like how he, like, now that I know that that interpretation, I could watch it again and enjoy it 10 times more than I did this time. If you said, doesn't mean anything, weren't those some interesting moving scenes? I'd be like, yeah, there's some really interesting moving scenes going on there. Beautiful Mad Libs. I want to send this transmission from one arm scissor. Like, I'm fine with that as well. I just didn't know which, and and I I felt deeply troubled by not knowing. Hmm. That's how I That's felt. That's interesting. Um, I... This is one of those things, Hunter, where I that you guys made fun of me for previously, where I believe that the world is on my side, even if you two aren't. Um, but I feel like, in general, people who watch film or read books prefer there to be an answer. Well, I mean, I think I, I think there is. I, 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 but the answer is up to you. Like it's like it's your. It, the movie so, so is inviting you. So that sounds like to... the, so. If the answer is up to me, it's not an answer. It's not yeah. like. 
there isn't a puzzle where the answer is whatever you want it to be. This isn't like heaven for hippies. Well, but it's not. There's it's an not, actual answer. It's not necessarily whatever you want to be. It's you plus movie equal answer. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you and- can't just like say anything about it because there's obviously it is uh, it is talking about like some very real stuff. Like it's it's not yeah. just image with no context, basically. Yeah, I mean, Alex, when you see like a great like abstract painting or you look at I mean something a piece of art like a piece of like brutalist architecture or something like yeah, that right yeah. these things make you feel things and you like you don't does not necessarily have to be like an answer or like a combative like don't feel you don't need to feel like you're being inadequate because you're not trying to like uh, engage with it on that sort of level, right? The kind of with these movies, especially as I think if you watched more Lynch stuff and kind of got in the mindset, it's like any kind of understanding out to the sense that you have to be willing to like, not, not you don't have to be willing, but you, you do over time build up a vocabulary. Like I think okay. Holland drives a great movie or blue velvet's a great movie to learn Lynch's vocabulary. So then you can watch his other work and sort of see what he's doing with it. It's not so. I I love the comparison to modern art because I I well and 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 I like modern art, but I love contemporary art. I I every when I'm, when I'm on tour, that's my favorite thing to do with my day off or my afternoon off is go find a modern or contemporary art museum. But anyone who actually cares about art who talked to me about it would be like, "You're a fucking idiot." Because what I like to do is walk around with the art and be like, wow, this is crazy. I just like I don't know. I don't. But I don't. When I when I look at a piece of abstract art. Maybe I'm the lone sociopath and everybody else is better at this, but I feel nothing except like, well, this is cool. You know, actually, well, great I mean, job. you're kind of winning me over, though, now that I think about it, because Mulholland Drive, I, I mean, I feel like it's uh, it's it's kind of like a shared dream that anybody that watches it sort of had this dream, basically. Like, it's so good at being mm-hmm. a dream that, uh, you know, there's like a cliche where people will describe horror movies as like a nightmare. But I think it would be fair mm-hmm. to say that Mulholland, Dream, or Mulholland Drive is literally a nightmare <laughs> that you can just have, that, that is just bottled and huh. you can just have it. And yeah. your reaction is like you woke up the next morning and you were like, huh, weird dream. Yeah. And that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. That's we people do other yeah. dreams all the time. Like some, But some people yeah. fixate and are like, what did that mean? Like, why was that? Why did I have a dream like that? I feel comfortable with either way. I just need someone to tell me which I should do. If you had said there's nothing going on in this movie, that's why my first question was, is there a thing to get? Because if there's nothing to get, I think I would still enjoy have enjoyed the movie. I'd be like, this is a cool, this is some weird shit. Um, yeah, well, but I like weird shit for no reason, and that's what I like when I when I like weird art. I you know. Uh, I, there was this piece in, in the Portland Art Museum for a while, uh, a couple years ago, that was like a Santa made out of poop that was 12 feet tall. Not real poop, but that's what it looked like. It was Poop Santa. And I liked Poop Santa. I don't know why. I don't know what it meant. But if I'm in an art museum and you show me a Poop Santa, I'm going to be like, oh, that's crazy shit. But then I'll also walk over and read the plaque or the little the art information. And if it's like, oh, this artist went through this war and this is a statement on that, I'll be like, oh, way better. So uh, I, mean, I like that's... both. I just need to know, is there an informational sign? And in the case of Mohan Drive, it sounds like there 90% is. Well, but either I way, mean... I'm happy with One Arm Scissor, I'm, and I'm happy in Poop Santa, and I'm also happy with It Was a Dream Starting in Minute 92. But there's also the, you know, that again, it's one of the beauty of Lynch's work, is because he's not someone who's ever going to pit that plaque up. Right? That's not what he does with his stuff. Yeah. And also, I think that uh, at a certain level, like when you say most of the world is against you, you're right. There's a reason why David Lynch movies. Oh, I said with me. Do- 
No, with I, me, I yeah. yeah. You know, when the movie the world is with you. So the reason why David Lynch movies aren't crossing a billion dollars at the box office. You know, right. like these are uh like this is this was definitely a crossover for him and he is of all the big sort of outhouse directors, he has somehow uh, managed to have a sustained, successful career, which itself is a miracle. Um, yeah. But you you look at the reason why I think is because his work works on a, a lot of different levels in terms of like you can really dive in and like analyze every single thing, and he pits that thought into it. But at the same time, like you can just watch this or like Blue Velvet or something like that and be like. That was just like a weird erotic movie. It made me feel things that I I am not sure if I'm comfortable that I felt, but it was it made me feel something that most movies don't. And I think that's kind of the beauty to it that you can kind of just appreciate it on whatever level is comfortable for you. And like I, David's I, not going to judge I'm actually, you. Actually, I I feel like I'm a little annoyed that David never says anything about it though. Um, so like. One thing that does bother me, and this is a thing that I, this is my like thing. I think the world, like a lot of the world, is with me, but will not admit because it's it sounds stupid. Um, but this is no stupid question, so I'm allowed to. Yeah. But is that? But I think that like, uh, I think an author should fucking know. That's your job. No, he does know. Like the don't. David is not just well, okay. Randomly so if David, frozen. okay, wait. So it, first of all, Mr. Lynch, Lynch. if Mr. Lynch knows this and he will not tell any of us, then that sounds like he's being a dick. No, because he just wants us to have this conversation. He doesn't want... Because the second he says something, people like you are going to go, well, no, the author meant this, so that's the only thing it can mean. Well, but if what he's... Okay, but if he tells us the thing, he's like, this is what I meant by this movie, and we did not see it in the movie, then the question... It's not the question of, like, how did I feel? The the, The question is, like, why did Mr. Lynch fuck up? Why didn't he show us the thing that was in his heart? And I don't like the idea, because, and this is how I feel the same with modern art, where I feel this nervousness if I decide on an interpretation, and then they're like, this is what it meant to me. Then I'm like, well, either I'm an idiot, or you're bad at getting things across. And since your job is a writer, like, I feel like your job as a writer is to tell me a story and get your thoughts across. If I don't, if I don't get to know, then it feels like you just blew it. You, or you, or you copped out. You didn't think about what the ending was and make it clear. I... That feels like a cop out. I, I think you would be right if not for the fact that the all of the symbolism and all of the all of the different like kind of breadcrumbs and pieces of the movie all work together. Um, when you hear somebody go through their interpretation of Mulholland Drive, it is like hearing somebody walk you through a dream. And that I feel like it yeah. makes the movie a little less interesting, but because it can give you that experience of like finding a meaning in it that works for you and does like you even said yourself as we were saying like oh it's a dream and like giving you these little pieces of the movie of our interpretations of it it was like unlocking the movie for you and it does very much have that experience of like you can kind of feel like oh i get it now but a lot of people do Mm, that in different ways Uh, and i think that's what makes it so special and I think it would be almost impossible to make a movie that had that um, that characteristic. Like, I don't even know how you would... How would you nail the right amount of things that connect and things that don't in such a way as to, like, oh, people are going to really be able to divine, like, some meaning from this, um, but not too much to where it feels like the movie is just static. Yeah, and honestly, I feel like... Um 
in a lot of ways, I do agree with what you're saying because I kind of, as I said before, I feel like Lynch in a lot of ways is someone who is the exception that proves the rule where a lot of people, the, the idea that this movie is, if you believe in this interpretation, is two thirds a dream, then the last third is real. 90% right. of the time in which you say a movie turns out to be all a dream, people groan and say that's a cheap, yeah. lazy cop-out. Because most of the time it is, right? And it's a writer won't know how to end their story, so they make it a dream. But what Lynch does, because he's such, like, and I truly believe this, a master of the craft, he it, it takes that like kind of trope and uses a dream to tell and show a more real version of the character that he's trying and the ideas he's trying to explore than like if he had just taken it and said it all in reality. If that makes sense, yeah. yeah there's like, there's a really interesting. I, I like that playing with the concept of like, uh, and then and then they wake up and it was all a dream. Instead, they like wake up two thirds the way through and then we see all the real stuff that the dream was making up was like playing off mm-hmm. of. So it does feel like it's flipping that concept around a little bit, uh, which I, is really interesting. So it's, it, it felt like when we went through the box to me, it felt like now we're in the dream world and that was real given the, what we normally would see from a movie. And this is like backwards for that. I think that's, I think that's cool. Uh, I, and I, but I like, but here's my problem. I'm, now I'm embarrassed that I am enjoying knowing the answer to the puzzle. Cause I was supposed to just like the feelings or whatever. Well, it's, I think whatever you get yeah. out of the movie is it's all yeah. good. Like that's all good. Like it's it's good that you saw it and then felt like oh weird dream. And then it's also good that as you learn more about it, you're like oh cool. You could have also just like locked yourself in a room, I guess, and rewatched it over and over, and probably would have eventually come up with similar stuff to what basically everybody comes up with when watching this movie. You know, it's not. It's yeah, not, there's um, not a million different interpretations. There are a lot of commonalities right. in the things that people come up with it. It. Yeah, and like I, I, I don't know how to like. How many times have you seen Mulholland Drive? This is, I think, my fifth or sixth time seeing it. Something like yeah. That. This would probably be about that same for me. And, and it's you did like, two this week. Yeah, and this movie was like I saw this when it came out on DVD in like 2002, and I did not understand it the first time I saw it. But it like it stayed with me mm-hmm. and the like this I had this uh, with a lot of Lynch movies yeah I, I, if I even I don't understand them the first time there's just imagery and his use of sound design and his use of color just like sticks with me and it just well, that, that made cowboy me, like, scene we were riffing on at the beginning is a good example of that where like I the, yeah I'm gonna think about cowboy meeting the yeah. cowboy yeah all the time and as you were saying as like just like showing the um, like what it feels like to make a to work in the studio system as a director like that whole thing where it's like these characters are clearly rich their motivations make no sense and uh they'll make they'll, they'll say things as if they're super smart that don't make any sense and then you just have to cast their friend because that's how the system works like that all makes that's a very and clear... no matter what you do the espresso will never be good enough <laughs> Yeah, that as far as a like a little tiny bit of acting, there's so many ways to spit liquid out. Yeah, and his no. particular way of not spitting it but just burbling it onto yeah. a napkin it, it is didn't fucking get, hilarious. It didn't get deep in his mouth enough to spit it out. It like yeah. barely touched the tip of his tongue and yeah. just poured back out of his mouth <laughs> oh, the same way. So it came gross. In. Oh, I loved that. <laughs> that is a uh, fun fact. That is the incredible Angelo Angelo Bag the yeah, Daddy. The uh, guy. 
the guy who composes all of David Lynch's music uh, oh, is the T guy. Well, according to the credits, David Lynch also composed music for this movie, and that irritates Why? me. He does he does music. That's yeah, that's annoying. Stay in your lane. <laughs> <What do> you... <laughs> Hire a music guy. I would love to have an episode of the show where you listen to some of David Lynch's like albums that he's made because they oh. are one oh. of them's called I think Crazy Clown Time. Um oh. and it's very very goofy and strange. So so this it feels like especially from that title, this feels like a person who's good at one thing and so they get to do other things they're not as good at. No, he's good at no, it. I he, mean, he's, he's good at he, making his music that works for yeah, in he's his world. Eight, it's it's like, sort of like Steve Martin playing banjo. Like maybe he's great at banjo, but no, no one cares the because they that. love this banjo. Is actually, you've you've gone awry here because Steve Martin playing banjo <laughs> is him being like, I'm good at comedy, and also I'm good at banjo. Do those things interact? Not at all. Uh, this is David Lynch, good at movies. Also, what is he good at? Making music that would go great in his movies. Like it's it's a yeah, complimentary well, okay. thing. All right. Well, and Fair he's enough. like a incredible visual artist, and he makes like very weird Lynchian cartoons, and uh, his paintings of striking and incredibly haunting. David Lynch is just a a straight uh, up artist more than I was good at him. Like a nobody filmmaker. is good at three things. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> it's not real. That's not real. We have to, uh, po- for Poto Film School, uh, we have to watch a Robert Rodriguez movie because that will really piss you off. <laughs> <laughs> because he's good at too many things? Well, no, he just, he uh, leans into it. So Robert Rodriguez says, you know how most movies have like during the credits, like written and directed by or whatever. Um, so yeah. Robert Rodriguez writes directs is his director of photography his editor and his composer so his films during the credits a giant title code pops up that what it's like written written shot directed and cut by robert rodriguez (laughs) that i believe more because some of those jobs i don't think are real jobs (laughs) what (laughs) what Well, no, I mean, I feel like yeah. I feel like the reason why you have a different person edit and shoot most of the time is because you can, but mm-hmm. like people can edit, people can shoot and edit because you have to like I think your brain is working on the same level for no. both those jobs. You're going to be um, very popular down in Hollywood. Yeah. Definitely make this sure is, you. That was such a wild <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely next time you're around a bunch of professionals, and the next time you meet a DP yeah. or an editor, yeah. go. Uh, why don't you shoot the movie too? You, it's the same. <laughs> what job. I would say to the, no, no. What I would say to those people is I would say, why don't you do all of it? I would it's say, all the when, same when, job. When, <laughs> when a DP tells me I don't edit, I would say not to. I would not say those are the same job. It's easy. I would say you're probably more powerful than you realize. <laughs> the power to edit is inside you already. <laughs> I want, but you oh don't. God, you shouldn't do it because editing is is just the worst. It's so so brutal. I love it. Um, yeah, I love it. It's, so boring. It's fun. Um, I have seen a Robert Rodriguez film. Uh, I have seen uh, From Dusk Till Dawn. Yeah, that's a good one. That's but yeah, he did all those seen. things on his movies. Uh, but um, no, that's that's very definitely definitely make sure uh, somebody out there. Wait, so clip that audio thing. <laughs> so anytime Alex gets on any kind of production, we can send that to the entire right, crew right. because that 
is a wild well, no, he, destroying so, okay, thing so, to say. So first of all, did Robert Rodriguez do Spy Kids 4D? Oh, he did God. all the Spy yeah, Kids movies. His, Shoots yeah, him down in his fun, garage. It's fun kid movies. <laughs> So I uh, actually, I it, it, it depends for the film. This is my last thing I'll say on this, though. I, is I think it has to do with whether it's union or not. Then I would understand them being different jobs. Because like when you do like uh, a non-union film, you like help with stuff, and then you do a union film, and you're moving everything. And you're like, can I grab this empty box? And you're like, no, there's an empty box person who needs to move this. <laughs> and so if you're like, yeah, you have to shoot and edit separately because those are different unions, then I get it. But if it's a non-union thing, like. Just do I know all. so many people who like make yeah. things and they do all the parts because they can't afford to hire the people to do it. So next time you meet an editor, ask him what their favorite light meter and lens is to use, uh, or vice versa. They could <laughs> figure they they are so much more powerful than they realize. They could learn that. Okay, anyway, so, that, um, so strange. <laughs> Okay, so the last segment, we got to go. The last thing I want to do is, uh, this is a segment that I'm going to call test prep. So what are the five things um, that either you hope I learned or I actually learned? Um, So you can either say something that you think that I took away that is wrong, or you can tell me something that you wanted me to take away from this movie and this conversation Mm. about it. Um, I will start. One thing that I have learned, we're just going to go in reverse order, I guess, from how we've just been having the conversation, because this is fresh in my mind, which is that I better be very careful what I say to people in L.A., because apparently they're very sensitive about their jobs. That's the impression you've given me, that they take things very personally if you tell them that they're capable of more than they realize. It's just, it's just next time you have a plumber come yeah. over, ask him if they'll rewire your living room the while they're job. at it. So yeah, many people can do both job. of those things. So many people do those two jobs. Remember, we got on this because you were upset that David Lynch also did music. Like, that's where this started. (laughs) Well, no, and actually, I think the plumbing electric is the same point, which is that, like, this is not me saying that to a plumber. This is a plumber telling me, I also do electric. And I would be like, well, you should probably focus. (laughs) That's what David Lynch is doing. It worked. You're the one. You guys are actually, you did the Looney Tunes thing where we argue this and then we switch on accident. Because your point that you've been making is that David Lynch should stop doing music. That's what you've been doing. No. You guys have been, well, Anthony has been doing that. Where if if I ask an editor what their favorite lens is, that's like asking a director what their favorite synthesizer is. And that's what David Lynch is doing. (laughs) If I, if if there is a car mechanic uh, over, which is directing Mm -hmm. a movie, and then I was like, hey, can you also... Uh, check on my dog's health that also has uh, a bunch of pieces right. inside of it, which is, right. in this case, the music for the movie. Um, I would think right. there's going to be different uh, jobs. I'll, I'll, how about this? David, some people, when I hear that they do various things, I just I, I just am like, well, they're kind of already strange, so that makes sense. They would do all those weird things. Cool. And if you tell me that David Lynch is good at basically anything... I'll probably just believe it because he just seems like he's just a weird guy that does a lot of different stuff. Cool. Music does it definitely yeah. does not. Also, that. Yeah, if you told me David Lynch was a vet, I would believe that. You know what I mean? Like if you were like, <laughs> "Oh, dude, David Lynch came over and he did some stuff with my dog, and now my dog's better," I'd be like, "Yep, that's that's probably true." <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not going to question he, that. He also is a wildly creative person who doesn't get a lot of a uh, lot of times up to mm-hmm. bat. In terms of being a filmmaker, 
You know, yeah. he makes like one movie. He hasn't even made a movie. I mean, besides Twin Peaks season three is kind of one long, perfect 18 hour movie. But uh, besides that, he had to make a movie that makes a movie like every like eight, nine years when someone is crazy enough to give him some money yeah. to do it. So he's got a lot of downtime. I could see him being like, oh, I guess music's free. I don't No one has to give me money to make music. You know, so um, David Lynch is also a weather right. man. This is true. Um, yes. Yeah, he, David Lynch was uh, a weatherman of his own making. Yeah, he was an amateur. He used to do mm-hmm. the weather from L.A. Like back when the internet was younger, he thought, I don't know why yeah. he thought this would be a good use of it. But and you can find these on YouTube. Um, he used to just like every day he'd be like from the desk of David Lynch. This is my David Lynch. From the desk of David Lynch, says, uh, it's sunny. <laughs> like that's yeah. what he do. Um, David Letterman also used to be a yeah. weatherman professionally. So I guess. All famous Davids. Uh, That's going to be my second major takeaway uh, of the day you for your test prep. Any famous person named David uh, might also be a weatherman. On the Mahalan, I think it's the Mahalan Drive uh, DVD. There was a special I have feature. That. I have this pulled up too <laughs> of, da- of David Lynch uh, cooking quinoa. Uh, so what? if you ever want. That's just, he's just, he really loves quinoa and he just is chain smoking cigarettes and talking about how to make good quinoa. Uh, he's a weird but guy. He's, he's sincere. Very funny. I hate when people. All right, so like, what a, we were talking about him being pretentious uh, earlier. He just seems like a real dude to me. Like he just, like he's just yeah. a real guy. Well, that's, I was All saying right. he's yeah, not. Yeah. Oh, I know. He's we we got to wrap oh, up, sorry, you guys. Sorry. So just, so these are your last chance. What are what are three more things that you would like me to take away from this movie, or that you think I have mistakenly taken away? I don't know. I I we hit that point where you were talking about how. Uh, you just you were watching it and it just kind of washed over you and you were just kind of like oh that was weird and I think Mulholland Drive is kind of the perfect film for, to just to use to say that whatever you felt while the movie was playing it's right and like maybe the realization is that you don't need to go to condescending film school <laughs> because you got you did it right bud you watched the movie the movie made you feel stuff that's it that's whatever you felt. Whatever happened while Mulholland Drive was on, it was right. Yeah, I, and yeah. to kind of piggyback on that, you know, I think yeah. the lesson of you're not in a combative situation with Earth is something that, especially internet culture, has kind of drilled in the people's heads that like movies are not to be experienced; they're to be beaten and conquered. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think being able to sort of let that part of your mind go and just like, like he said, wash over you. Um, I think in terms of film school stuff, where yeah. the main two things, I think there's a lot of great stuff you could take from this movie. Um, but uh, two, the three really big ones is use of color. This is a great movie oh, to yeah. understand, mm. like, how color can be used to denote different things. Like if you rewatch it and think about what every, what colors people are wearing in every scene, where else do you see those colors and how are they used? This is a great movie to do that. Uh, the use of sound design is another thing that David Lynch does mm-hmm. so well. If you just watch this movie specifically thinking about the sound and how it's used, uh, and the other big film school thing is that um, there's a scene in the movie when Justin Thoreau is directing and uh, he wants to show the male actor how to kiss uh, yeah. the girl. And he goes, uh, do you mind if I show you? 
And that is something I've heard from actors is one of the best things a director can do. The, a, a lot of directors just show you without asking, and then we'll just do the thing. And it's just like, hey, I'm a creative actor. Don't don't do that. So as a film school thing, always ask if you're a director. That's a huge. Well, huge so he asks well. the boy if it's okay that he kisses the girl. He does not ask the girl if she's okay with making out with the director in front of everybody, and he's and him sending everyone on set home so that he can just practice kissing on this lady. Well, they're already together at that point. Yeah. You know, they're right. Yeah. yeah. Which is and is also weird. Um so I guess oh so here, I, I wasn't sure how this segment would go and now that I've now I've decided. So here's what here's the way the segment works in the, in future episodes is will be you'll tell me things that I should have taken away and then I will tell you things I did take away instead. Um that's, that's so yeah, that's good. funny. That's that's yeah, what yeah, I'm going to have that's done. Very good. Uh that's very good. Um, one of my other interpretations that I will say really briefly was that David Lynch might just be a pervert. Interesting. <laughs> and that this was just an excuse to make naked girls kiss yeah. a bunch. Could it? Cause that happens yeah, a pretty... lot. And it's, but now that it's like a dream interpretation thing, it's like, Oh, that makes perfect sense. This Can is what imagine, I dream about. Also, though, if you were like, all right, my dream is for these two, two ladies to kiss. And then you wrote Mulholland Drive to make that happen. Like, I almost be like, whatever. Like, like wow, that, that pervert. That's how much work you have to do to make it seem not pervert. And he just kept making it weird. Uh, you're like, look, I'm going to get. He was like, listen, like, they're going to kiss. Yeah, but there's a lot of other stuff going on in the movie, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is my official interpretation. Everything else he said was him improvising at a pitch meeting to cover up the fact that the movie he wrote was just Naomi Watts gets naked That's and kisses really girls. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, it, it opens with a girl in a car accident who wanders into another girl's house, and they're like, are you making a porno? He's like, no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, uh, a blue key. Uh, and uh, no, she, she, she's, uh, she's got money, you know, so it's not... Uh, she doesn't even remember who she is. She's like, do I even like kissing yeah. you? I don't even know. He's just like Kevin Spacey and the usual suspects looking outside. There's a Winkies. He's like, then there's a man and a Winkies. And there's a... <laughs> it's all just distraction. It's all just mystery. <laughs> There's an alley demon. And then David Lynch gets what he really wanted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. That is it for our show. Thank you so much for listening to the debut of season three, the season premiere of Raid and Weep, uh, our kickoff for 2020. Um, I think this is going to be an interesting one. Um, I don't think that, the, that we should take away that I don't need school because that would really make me have to think of a new theme for this year. Um, Although there are like documentaries I'd like to see about things I'd like to learn about, we could just skip no. ahead to that part. No, you have. Well, I like the school. idea of at a certain point. At a certain point, we have to have you drop out yes, of film, film school. Drop out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's such a good idea. Yeah. And I do appreciate you guys being not so condescending today. Actually, you kept it real. You kept this real kind. So open, you know. Like I think it's it's yeah. it's honestly it's a hard movie to to judge someone by. You know what I mean? I would have liked to have been meaner. Well, so what would be the knife? So, so what would your Hunter? What would your movie for me be in the mm. way that this was Anthony's first choice for something that would um, throw me in the deep yeah. end? Um, something. It would have to be something that like is so great and everyone agrees that it's great, but also like it's great because it's just so well made and there's there's not there's no open to interpretation. It's just. What about like something like The Master yeah. or something like that? Do you like that movie? Oh yeah. I don't oh, know what okay. that is. No. So 
Yeah, I, I guess though the map, no, 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 no. The master's clearly about something. It's about something real. And yeah, no, we should, that's a, that'd be a good one for you. And I feel like you'd hate it, so I'm into it. Yeah, <laughs> I do like uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, but I don't know if you're gonna like him in this one. Uh, yeah, did you did you like There Will Be Blood? Um, kind of. Wow. Yeah, you're probably not gonna like the master then. <laughs> kind of <cute. laughs> um, do I like P.T. Anderson? Yeah, I mean in general. Like we could watch like Boogie Nights, which is I think another one of those like almost perfect yeah, movies. That movie. Interesting. Um, I let's see. I so I I did like Magnolia. Um, and I kind of liked Phantom Thread, but kind You're of so not. So puzzling. So you liked Magnolia a lot. Like, I I feel like you wouldn't like that one. I loved Magnolia and may have watched it as many times as anything that I've seen. Um, this is one of the this was like one of twelve DVDs I had as a high schooler, and I watched it over and over and over again. You had three hours to kill a lot as a high schooler. <laughs> I yeah, I don't know how this happened, it's but such I such a yeah, lot I really of movie. Did. Yeah, so we will watch one of these films shortly, or something similar to it. I'll, I'll announce it on our Facebook and Twitter and stuff. Um, anyway, all that and more is coming up uh, in the next couple weeks as we continue slightly condescending film school. If you have something that you think is uh, imp- has important lessons for me to learn about film. Uh, please send along uh, podcast at read-hoop.com is our email address. Love to hear from you that way or anywhere else uh, on the web. Uh, thanks for talking to me, Anthony. This is a lot of fun. And uh, yeah. at Hungry Hunty on the Instagram, keep, keep, keep eating. eating. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's my signed off. <laughs> I feel like keep you needed a tagline eating. there, but I didn't have one. <laughs> hey. <laughs> well, I appreciate you hey, helping out as, uh, uh, assistant professor. <laughs> You're going to have oh, a food totally show one of these have, days. It's going to be travel a food show where I'm supposed food. to have cooked something and you just show up and, I, and I'm like, oh, you guys were late. And then <laughs> and I just show you all my dirty <laughs> dishes and I'm like, get to work, <laughs> y'all. Already finished eating. I love it. All right. Well, uh, we'll talk to both of you again soon. Take care, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.